Welcome to Post-Apocalyptic. This is Rob. This is John. This is Jason. This is Angela. And like a Tarantino film, all the people from past episodes have come together to make a new episode. Nice. This week we are going to uh, talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, a very divisive Tarantino (laughs) film if you read the internet. All of us have seen it. Uh, I saw it twice because Ange hadn't seen it. Jason saw it last night. John and I saw it, I don't know, when it came out or something like that. Yeah, I think it was that Saturday, maybe? Yeah, it was Saturday that it, that, that it weekend out. that it came out. Yeah. Right. It currently is very successful. I think it's a 110 or 15 million for him. That's really good. Most yeah, it's his highest grossing, right? It might be his highest. No, um, like in terms of the opening weekend. Opening weekend, yes. I think it's a yeah, very ahead of anything else we will spoil a lot of the movie even though there's only really one thing to spoil i'm not going to tell you where that is <laughs> unless you're listening now and now we're going to start spoiling the film <laughs> all right so let's go jason your thoughts you saw it on imax i did wow <laughs> yeah and i didn't intend to just uh what was available at this point and um god i i, I loved it okay um and this is probably the first modern tarantino film that i've like truly like loved in i don't know probably since Pulp Fiction. Okay. You know, I've like, kind of liked Hateful Eight. I thought it was way too long. The Kill Bill films are okay. There's probably really one great film there. Right. Um, yeah, but this I thought was just fantastic. And I kind of went in. I had, you know, been told a lot of things, and so I had some expectations. Okay. Yeah, I was I was blown away. Okay. Well, jo- uh, Jason will be the only one. No, I, 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 no, no. I think we all. True. I think we all like it. It's just. I think the, we all like different things about it. Like, like he did a good yeah, job of fair. making it look of the time. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, it did feel like a 1969 movie. Totally. Yeah, and I felt it was so representative of that time. Hold on. And we'll edit. Wow, that's the first time that one's coming in hot. Hold for sound. Yeah. Last time we were here, someone died, I think, for with the helicopters coming over. Oh, right. Yeah, last time when Jason was here, what someone was shot Tarantino-style and uh, uh, died yeah. at our liquor store. No way. Yeah. yeah. Not even a block from here. No. Uh, not even a block. I mean, spitting distance from uh, the podcast studio. So shooting? We didn't hear anything. We heard some helicopters, and then Jason left, then Ange came home. Then I ran down to the liquor store. She's like, oh, I'm going to go get a lottery ticket. Which and is so random because I don't normally do that. But it was like one of those, you know, hey, it's eight hundred million dollars. And yeah. it's like, well, it only takes one. Right. You know. So I ran down there and they were literally washing blood off the sidewalk in front of the liquor store and there were cops everywhere. There was an ambulance and the employee at the liquor store said, Oh, they just hauled the body away. He ran over here and collapsed, so I called nine one one. I hate it when I can't buy lottery tickets. <laughs> so don't don't buy any more. But then tickets. he just casually ushered myself and another patron in and said, uh, oh, "Watch the blood. What can, I do? What can yeah. I do for you?" Yeah, it's, it's so clear. LA. Yeah. And here it's we Tuesday. are. This is that is a very yeah. Hollywood. I mean, we are in Hollywood in the right. hills, and yeah, that was quite the Tarantino sort of moment. And was that the same day? I think we wow we went to go drive by the Snowden house is that what it is the that weekend we did yeah yes. that we because went to... i became so obsessed with the podcast about the black dahlia murders mm. and that murder, and, and that house where that murders. guy lives is still because it's a historical site it's a lloyd wright home and it sticks out and it's on franklin the soden house yeah the soden yeah. house and as we're driving there all of a sudden there's a fire truck and there's a dumpster on fire, fire and we're like Ugh. And drove around it as we went to the murder house. And it's like, I guess we're just in L.A. <laughs> yeah. just back to once where there was no trash cans on fire or anything. Uh, but how did you feel? I guess we'll just jump to the end. How did you feel about the revisionist ending that he likes to seem to do? Well, I knew there was something. Okay. I didn't know exactly what was going to happen. Right. Um, but I was aware that something was going to happen. So I was kind of looking for clues. Okay. You know, I was, if I saw it opening weekend, then I wouldn't be. Right. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. the moment I saw the flamethrower in the, you know, in the uh, shed uh-huh. when uh, Brad Pitt is going to fix the, the TV antenna, antenna. Yeah. then I, I knew exactly. I was like, oh, okay, here's how this. I didn't know exactly how it was going to be played, but I knew that was going to be a part of it and yeah. that they were going to somehow save the day or something. Right. Mm-hmm. Um. And I was actually okay with it, only because I think I know so little about the Sharon Tate murders, and yeah, you know, I mean, I have like a cursory, not even like a Wikipedia, yeah. you know, interest in it. Um, whereas I suppose if you were like so focused on, oh, because originally I'd heard the very first time I remember hearing about this movie, 
was that it was Charlie Manson based. Yeah. That's what I heard was that the focus was. And I don't know if they put that out there just to throw everybody off track. But that's yeah. even that in the trailer now. Like, yeah. if you watch the trailer now, it's they allude that this is right. about the time what's going on in Hollywood. We have a fictional character, but it is about Charlie and the Sharon Tate murder. So I don't know if that was supposed to be some sort of red herring, but if so, why? Yeah, yeah, I was wondering that myself. Um, I mean, because I thought they were like they were like cops in L.A. and they were investigating the crime or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. and obviously it has nothing to do with any of that. No, you see Charlie once. Now seeing it a second time, I know it, everything. So, so it was once. It's I only it was the twice. It's I once. thought it was twice. Well, it, it cuts. <clears throat> you see him walking up. He oh, cut to I Brad. Yeah, yeah. Then he walks up to the door. So he parks his uh, like ice cream truck or whatever it is. Yeah. It was a Twinkie truck. You could see in the IMAX. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, which we couldn't see in the uh, see? in the thirty-five so, yeah, millimeter. We'll all your hidden, from uh, the <laughs> Yeah. So you see him there, and then he walks up to the door, and that's the only time oh. Charlie Manson's in it. And you never mention his right, name. Right. Right. And they only say Charlie at the ranch a couple mm-hmm. times. Correct. And once again, trailers lie, and that's something we've all grown to. But this trailer was telling us a different story than we got in the movie. Right. And I could see how people could be upset by that, I think. I'm not upset. It was just like Anne said, like, she's like, oh, I'm really excited to see it. And then I, I told her, I go, it's not the movie you think it's going to be. Because it has nothing to do with the trailer at and all. And then I didn't know what you meant by that. Then why is Sharon Tate in this movie? Like, if you look at it just as a movie, why is she in this movie? It's just a red herring. And it's my, just a way to vehicle to, to get the story going, right? I mean, because it's like a parallel story to... Right, but I mean, she serves no... Like, you see how the movie ends. She serves no purpose in this movie. But he's rewriting her story. I know, but she still doesn't solve any... There's no need to have her in this movie at all as that character. Hmm. Because you see her driving around. They go to the Playboy Mansion, and then... Yeah, uh, <clears throat> yeah and it was a narrative structure. It's just in... It was frustrating for me because it was like, okay, we're following her. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we're following her for a reason, and she's very, you know, prominent—the most prominent female in the film. Mm-hmm. And it's just at the end, you know, just not taking into account what really happened. It's like, where's her arc? I mean, where's her story? Why did we? Why did we follow her? Mm-hmm. You know, in that movie theater, why did we follow her around a day in the life of Sharon Tate? Um, did yeah, she, outside. And did of, she actually go to the movie theater? Do we know? Does anyone know that if she I actually don't know. did go see herself on the? Screen? That I don't know. I don't know how much is true of that day in what was that February, February eighth or ninth? Is the opening yeah. of the film, and then the yes, end is like August eighth and ninth. If this was even just a made-up story, like say none of this is this is all just from Quentin's mind. It's not even like they're alluding, like you see the ranch people talking about, oh, we got to go kill Sharon. Like they're not looting up, and that's why we're seeing Sharon's story. She's just there because we're we as an audience, some of us know who she is. So you're like, okay, I know how this is going to end. I guess this is what his movie's about. No, she has nothing to do. Like you could take her out and the movie still plays exactly the same. You cut all her footage out. They just go. They're like, oh, we're going to kill her. I mean, you can leave Leo's line of like, oh, she lives up there. Mm -hmm. And then at the end, you know, they go to kill her and then decide to kill them. But you don't really need her in this movie and i think that's what frustrates me the most about the movie is that why was she even in it like what's the point of her story as a narrative as a narrative of the story storytelling it's not a diversion from the story it's just all right great i'm gonna watch her watch herself on the screen for 20 minutes that's not even her on the screen which is also confusing because they left the real sharon tate in the movie so it almost looks like she's just watching a sharon tate movie which seems really weird too yeah and I understand why they they did it, and I and I support his his choice to do that, mm-hmm. um, to sort of you know uh, give honor to Sharon Tate, um, and you know he knows that certain people who know nothing about Sharon Tate, not even people like you, Jason, but people like who know exactly nothing about Sharon Tate, they would be confused. But he's like, well, I'm just honoring her memory, so I feel it best to leave the real one in there. I. I'm fine with that. Yeah, it's like an honor to her, and she says she's that person, so we just buy into it. But they show so much of that movie, and it is kind of jarring when it's not her. Right, we're talking about the Wrecking Crew, right? When the Wrecking Crew, yeah. The, the Bruin. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I guess as a counter, I would argue it's kind of like, you know, taking the Titanic out of Titanic, right? You know the ship's going down at the end. Right. Mm-hmm. And the story really, it's a love story, but we won't get into that. But, but what if James you, Cameron, you, though, then didn't have it sink? 
like that would be the exact same thing. So you're on the ship, and then all of a sudden it goes, there's an iceberg. <laughs> Good thing yeah. we moved. The common thread is Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, it's only Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, thank you for that. See, I know I had a reason why I brought up yeah, Titanic. Exactly. Um, but if you don't know that, the whole time you're thinking, oh, the, you know, the murder is going to happen. Right. And without, and the whole time you're thinking, oh, well, eventually this is going to happen. We're going to see, you know, all in its bloody gory, you know, all this go down. And you're not, you're not thinking, oh, it's going to be a twist ending at the end, of, mm-hmm. you know, at the time. So you're just, you're accepting it the entire time, right? right. That, yeah. oh, this is just yeah. one more. And we're going to see these, all these characters are going to converge at the end. Right. And you need that. The Sharon Tate is the vehicle to keep, you know, to keep the story alive. Otherwise, it's just a guy that was a down and out, right. you know, on his way down uh, actor. And two, I think, I mean, Tarantino at heart, right? He's always wanted to be an actor, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He wrote the part for himself to be Mr. Pink. Right. And then he realized, well, it was too much. So then he played Mr. Brown. This movie is as much about acting and kind of, just like you said, a day in the life of an actor. Mm-hmm. And I think... And know, I would have enjoyed that just as much. Like if you took away the Sharon Tate stuff and it was mm-hmm. just... Even if that was in the background, you've heard stories on the radio or something of things going on. Because they mentioned Vietnam in the radio. Because for some reason they have the radio blaring over all dialogue, which was sort of... It was interesting, right. but it's like, if you're in the car having a conversation, you're going to turn the radio down. It feels like they had it up because he wanted to hear, no, you're listening to real radio. I actually uh, like that. Me too. I, it didn't, <laughs> uh, no, it was only the second time that it sort of bothered me because it seemed so present where like you're trying to listen to them talk and then you're listening to the radio at mm-hmm. the same time. I just felt like so was just a the, the mix was a little high because they fought each other. I didn't mind when they were just listening to the radio. All the original radio stuff I thought was really interesting because they used real radio. But it was when there was dialogue scenes. It's like, you know, you can just turn it down one so I can hear because I feel like their conversation is more important than what I'm hearing on the radio. But that's I mean, that was just sort of a second view. And the yeah. first time I caught everything because you're just so in overload. Right. But I think you could have still made that same movie and not put this element into it. Why right. not just at the end, someone at the end of their career, you know, or his perceived version of the end of his career, even though he continues to work through the whole movie. So that I didn't mind. And I, I just think I just don't understand why he chose to do this whole Charlie story when it didn't really do anything in the movie. Hmm. Other than going to the ranch, which I think was a great scene because it's Brad Pitt. And yeah, I think, I think Brad Pitt's the best part of the whole there movie. There was so much good tension in that yeah. whole sequence. Like, I couldn't... I was I was so nervous when he went in that house. Like, what's going to happen? What's behind the door? Is George alive? Is he dead? <laughs> yeah. No, he did. That was, like, good filmmaking. No, absolutely. Like, him getting that sequence. whole yeah. Spawn Ranch, I think, was seen it a second time, the best part of the whole movie. Mm-hmm. For me, just because Brad Pitt's amazing. He's just great. The second time, like, he is the star of that film. Like, Leo's great, but... Brad Pitt's little nuances yes, the I whole agree. time of the film. Like, it was like, oh man, Brad Pitt took us to acting school. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's the whole the whole thing is a, like a clinic on how to be an actor, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, like Brad Pitt, when he's on screen, he just owns everything. And yeah. it's just like, wow, this guy is great. I mean, I get, like you said, Leo, when he's on screen, very compelling, very, mm-hmm. very powerful. But Brad Pitt's, he just has this. And, you know, his character does have this swagger about him, but, you know, he's also Brad Pitt, so he's got it on overdrive. Yeah. Um, I thought the ranch scene was the best. Um, very tension-filled. You're right. I was wondering about the house, too. But then, you know, I saw that as the nexus of the film, and I was not knowing what was gonna, how it was going to resolve itself. You know, I th- didn't know about the revisionist yeah, I knew there was something. All I knew was there was some uproar at Cannes about um, Margot and uh, her character and how she didn't have enough to do. But that's the only thing right. I was looking for. And I knew there was a uh, some sort of a twist or something that I didn't want to know about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess that was the you know revisionist history at the end. I think you have, Jason, you have a good point about... Um, if you are expecting the murder, because I think the scene at the ranch sets the sets the tone for it and sets the stage in your mind. If you already are thinking, you know, history is going to repeat itself in this movie, you're thinking, okay, this is sort of the catalyst for that. And then when we get to the hippies, you know, at the house and they have their mission, you're like, okay, it's going down right now, and it doesn't. So I kind of like that, but I guess for me. The alternative wasn't satisfying. You know, Brad Pitt, for some reason, Brad Pitt killing them 
and then Leo finishing him off somehow just didn't satisfy me. And part of it was I was I was expecting, you know, Sharon Tate and company to be murdered. It didn't happen, but I was thinking, well, then what's the point of having Sharon Tate in there? Other than I'm giving you a slice of revisionist history that's a lot better and a lot more positive than what actually happened. I don't, I don't know if it really satisfied me as a, as a narrative, though. It just, I felt like I was wasting my time with Sharon Tate if ultimately nothing, nothing happened. Like Rob, like you said, if you take her out, is it a different movie? It's a different movie, but I still think it's sort of the same. If he was painting in this light where things would have been better if, I mean, obviously everything would have been better if Charlie Manson didn't exist, but make her make her future seem brighter so when she lives, you feel better. Like maybe there's things of when she's playing music and J.C. brings there, who you weren't a big fan of the actor. Yeah, I didn't, I just didn't, I don't know. There was something that rubbed me really wrong with that exchange with Leo's character at the end through the gate. Mm. I just thought Emil Hirsch was uh i just felt like compared to leo i just felt like he was uh suffering a little bit in that scene Mm. i didn't think that he was up to par i don't know just my thought but i think with that like say they're playing records and emile's like wow you're getting a lot of script offers like make it seem like she has this bright history because without knowing much like i i don't know much i don't know if how far of a rise she was coming up she had done some movies but i don't know was she planned to be in the next big this, the next big that. Like, was she supposed to be, was her star, like, shooting really high? Like, was she at the beginning of her amazing career? And if so, play that out. So when it does revise history, you're like, oh, man, what a bummer. We'll never know how amazing she would have been. At that point, she's third banana in some movies she saw at the theater that you don't know if she's going to do anything else. And then no one in the theater even knew who she was. I mean, granted, not everyone's going to know everyone, but it's like, I'm in the movie. Which one are you? It's like I was in Valley of the Dolls. Oh, you were? Were you this person? Like, they don't even know who she is. So it's not like she's not even remotely kind of famous. So it's like, where is she in her career at that point when the murders happen? And was she going to be huge? Or well, I, th- I think so, right? If she's married to Roman Polanski. That's what then... I think. Yeah. And she was pregnant. And I thought the way that Tarantino always um, made her look, like she was in these vibrant colors a lot of the time, especially at the Man- Playboy Mansion. That yeah. was amazing. Like she was the only one in yellow and a bright color and her hair was so blonde. And I thought, well, this girl seems like she has a lot of potential. Right. And I thought towards the end, like especially that last scene where she's got her friends coming over and she's going out to dinner and she's pregnant and she has the whole... Yeah, her life ahead of her with with a kid and as a mother. Yes, you're seeing what was taken away from her life. But it's like, is she going to be bigger than that? Or is this it? Is she just become a mom to Roman Polanski who then eventually just, you know. And that was also weird too. It's like, oh, pedophile Polanski. This is fun. Uh, (laughs) Well, that was before. Yeah, yeah, that was before. that happened. Well, and this would maybe have changed him, right? Right, because it, it's a given in the title. It's once upon a time in Hollywood. It's a fairy tale. So it already sets you up as a fairy tale. Yeah, and but change more and don't make it. And I don't. I don't mind. You can revise whatever story you want, but don't lead us down something. Don't take us on a false journey. Like why can't it just be a story in '69 about Rick and Cliff? Because that's an actually an interesting story. I don't need the and Sharon maybe Tate that story. they kind of were on the periphery and sort of knew about her if she lived on the same street or. But he only right. mentions him. He doesn't even mention Sharon. Watching it a second time, I thought he mentioned Sharon, but he goes, oh my God, that was Roman Polanski. Right. He did Rosemary's Baby, one invite to one of his pool parties and could change everything. And it's like, but aren't you a star? Like, I mean, I get it. They're sort of playing him as like mid-level star, but he never even mentions her name. So Yeah, he doesn't even know if she is really. So it's, right. I think that's it. It's, it's following. And he wouldn't. Yeah. yeah. Unless, I mean... I feel like he would might know who that is if it's his wife and it's like, oh, she's done some of his films or I don't know. I mean, I, I think, you know, this was a time where you had uh, those sort of um, filmmakers who were, uh, you know, you had the French New Wave and you had like these sort of auteur was coming in, the auteur was coming into mm-hmm. uh, to focus now. And so that was something where if you had um, Rick, he would be on the outskirts on the outside of that sort of world. 
So to get into that world, it's sort of like now it's not like that. But what it used to be was like, you know, the TV star making that jump to movies. Yeah. Um, he could, he could he was a big enough star. It seemed like he was a big enough star to do that. But this was just another sort of brand of sort of art house yeah. movie. And, you know, the um, the director becoming sort of this this rock star status. And um, I think that that's what he was in engrossed with and so i think that his his sort of focus would be on the fact that you know from my perspective it'd be roman polanski and it wouldn't be her right because what i did feel in this movie was and someone made this this comment was like the story was focused on basically men at the expense of women like brad pitt um with the uh the girl, the the ranch, um, Leo, the way he treated the little girl in the beginning. You know, when he started talking to her, when he made that comment. I don't know. It just sort of, like, had this feel about it. And so when our dominant female character, Sharon Tate, ultimately... I, I love the fact she didn't die, but it's just, like, what purpose did she serve you know, in the engine of, of the mm-hmm. narrative. It's like, I don't, I don't feel like sat- satisfied by that. I don't know. I don't feel like she really added much to it other than texture um, and envir- environment for this, you know, for this time, which I think Tarantino, uh, yeah, he got, he, he, he knows it. I knew he would get it. And yes, I feel like I'm there. I did feel like he luxuriates in it. Like he, like he does, but maybe a little too much for me because I wanted a little more story and I think he mentioned maybe on the set to some actors you know yeah I know I could put more plot in there but I just sort of wanted this to be a day in life so like mm-hmm. Rob and I were talking oh, like, yeah. he, he, he knew it wasn't a plot driven mm-hmm. movie and even the producer because when we were there we, we were the Q&A I think so, it was the producer yeah it was yeah. David Hyman and uh, Rachel something he said yeah there, you know this could have used a little more plot and story but you know it's quentin's vision and it's like if you're already admitting it doesn't have a plot or a story that seems like you can only go with so much style like he has a lot of style in the movies great and part of the story of just an actor's day in the life i'm okay with i think it can be done really well and i think he did a really good job of that i i mean quentin's cut is three and a half hours they said the one he likes is three and a half hours and it's like what the fuck else is in this movie like that's that's another 45 minutes yeah, I was going to ask, is there, is there more Sharon Tate in right, those that's what 45 I'm minutes? Or, no. or are there more flashbacks to uh, more. Rick's... Uh, Here's more another episode. Here's another episode of Bouncy <laughs> I mean, I liked some of it. The second time it seemed to drag on some of that, because I felt like we spent so much time showing him as an actor, which I'm okay with, because you're, you're setting up his story. Like, oh, he was on Bounty Law, and they're showing that. But I felt like we were seeing so much of his... Work. I don't need to see a full episode of Bounty Law. And it's like, oh, there's Michael Madsen. That's funny. You know, that's just mostly for all of us who like all of Tarantino's cast of players. But And then so much time on shooting that pilot, which I get. It's showing him messing up and how much he thinks he's worse than he actually is. Like, he's harder on himself than anyone else. Like, actors mess up. Even then, But it's he was not... struggling, too. He was drinking a lot. He was drinking a lot. But he, I think... No one would have faulted an actor even then to mess up. Oh, I forgot my line. It's not like, oh, no one forgets lines in the 60s, you know. And I get it. He was more upset about himself. So him freaking out the trailers really good just shows that he is harder on himself than he is. Because, I I mean, the way he was rehearsing was amazing, that he read all the lines then would remember. I was like, that's actually pretty clever. But didn't the Al Pacino character sort of get under his skin with what he was commenting about his guest spots? Oh, yeah. So well, I, that, don't you think that played into that arc was like, oh, that really got to, I don't know how I can keep going. What am I going to do to change it up for myself? Well, that and he got schooled by an eight-year-old girl. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She sort of chewed <clears throat> up the scenery, too. Yeah. <laughs> I was surprised that he decided to shoot what we saw of the pilot cinematically and not go back to like a four by three. Like, mm-hmm. or something, because I would have thought, okay, we're watching it, because then you're watching this gorgeous thing, and it's like, well, the pilot didn't look like that. It would have been four by three, because right. he seemed like he was being so true to everything in the beginning, showing all the clips. Mm-hmm. But I thought all that was really good, but I also still felt like you could have probably just used the girl scene, or maybe one mess up, but I just felt like, oh, I've just seen 15 minutes of a pilot that doesn't exist. 
you know, he was indulging himself a lot. So, like, what is that three and a half? I mean, go figure. Go figure. I mean, <laughs> it is I'm, a Tarantino film after all. But I feel like it, I liked Hateful Eight. I thought, yes, it was long, but it felt very Tarantino dialogue. This didn't feel very Tarantino dialogue. I didn't feel like the dialogue was whippy, but mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be. He doesn't always have to be the same in every film, but it felt very low on dialogue. It was very, like, probably his least dialogue film. Yeah, I, I, I just felt like the script needed uh we need another rewrite and when i say that i think it needed another tarantino rewrite because it wasn't it didn't have that like that bite that dialogue that he's you know that he has that's that you become accustomed to Mm -hmm. i mean i don't know if like he spent more time on just getting the world right but i also know that I, along with a lot of other people, including people in this room, go to the Tarantino movie because you're like, wow, there's going to be some sharp, witty dialogue and a lot of subtext that's going to go uh, underneath that, that, you know, it's really going to be important. You know, this is not this is not the movie that you go to the bathroom on. Um, so I felt like, you know, in comparison to his other movies, that this wasn't, in terms of dialogue, you know, as strong as um, his previous you know, I felt like he had two major actors, you know, at sort of the top of their form just going. And, you know, it's fun to watch Brad and Leo just be in the screen, you know, be on screen. Yeah. You know, because if you just put a camera on Leo, you just put a camera on Brad and watch him go. It is fascinating. And I think that that's the draw of, of this movie, you know. And I, I know Tarantino is the director who has... Uh, complete autonomy and dominion over his trailers so it's not, I, I can't imagine it's the studio trying to market or taking it out of his hands trying to market this as some Charlie Manson Sharon Tate thing yeah mm-hmm. so I know he's you know all over that so I, I don't know why he's doing it because I do think that it's really interesting to see Rick and Cliff you know on their journey it, it is not, yeah. not to say that I don't want to see anything else. I mean, the stuff at the ranch I thought was fantastic. But, you know, those two guys. Because that know. could have just played. He could have still picked her up as a hitchhiker. And then, you know, that Charlie Manson story is happening around them. Right. You know, and yeah, he has full control of his trailers. I just don't know why they felt like you're seeing Sharon Tate and Charlie Manson's story. It's like, and, oh, okay. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, because, like, if, even if you went into it. Oh. Um. <laughs> As Brad Pitt driving there by. Was, yeah, was. Man, he drives really fast. He was just down the street on Forest Lawn Drive. Yeah, like one and of those you drives. You saw him, right? You saw some of the filming. Let's talk oh, yeah. about that. Oh. You did too, this, didn't you? Yeah, they were across. And I didn't, that scene was never in because it was for, a. For, for once? Yeah, yeah, because they were across the street, Trader Joe's in, uh, in Toledo oh, Lake. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I heard that was one of the cuts. And then scenes. I was looking going. I, I remember going, it's like, oh, it's once upon a you can tell the outfits. I don't know who was actually in anything because I, I think it was uh, it was definitely the yellow car. But it was like, oh, I didn't see that this time. And but I saw ex- right down the street from your place. Yeah, yeah, they were all on Burbank Boulevard, yeah, cruising up and down, and in front of like Chili John's. Yeah, you know, had like a huge cameo, you know, with yeah. all the neon lights mm-hmm. coming on. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was really, you know, really cool. I mean, going back to what you said about the, you know, not having the snappy dialogue, I don't think this movie needs it because he's created this world. You're going back to the summer of '69, and that is the focus. You know, and, and all the stuff that was going on in Hollywood at that time and how the productions were working and all that kind of stuff as opposed to, like, everyone saying motherfucker every, like, three seconds. Yeah, no, I was right. happy that... Yeah. I was actually you know, surprised his language was... Yeah. As tame I, as, it, as yeah, it is. Because yeah. I think that actually made everyone else shine as opposed to just defaulting to that. It's not like it had to be Tarantino whippy. It just didn't feel like a Tarantino dialogue. But it was kind of refreshing, don't you think? It's like, oh, oh yeah. yeah. Like, oh, thank God he's not it. everyone's cursing. Right. You know, how did you feel about the weird narration towards the end when they're building up to it? Because all of a sudden it's like, oh, hey, it's Kurt Russell. Yeah. Well, that was in the beginning a little bit. They too, did it a little right? in the beginning. And then, well, yeah, it's like, oh, he's uh, my, my car's in the shop. That's a lie. You know, it was too many drink driving. And they're like, oh, okay, that's Kurt Russell. And it then it wasn't the very end, consistent, though. Yeah, that's gone for like two hours. Or yeah. 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 So why why do you think he chose And then, to then do he that? chose to build up that tension. It's like at 830, Sharon Tate and her friends are like, oh, okay. So, and I think that's it, too. You're building that story to not happen. Yeah. And it's like, mm-hmm. all right, Sharon Tate's here. Like, okay. And then Brian Lee or her, okay, they get home here. Okay, I'm curious. And like, I was telling Angie, I think I even told John, was that I thought it was going to be that thing of they were going to kill. Rick and Cliff 
kill Sharon and they're a footnote in the story because he's not as famous or as pretty as Sharon Tate. The newspaper articles come out and it's like, and uh, Rick Dalton, like he is a footnote. He had this career, but he's not even ever going to be remembered because that's going to be more important than that. I think that was when it was leading up. I was like, oh, he ends up a footnote in his own story. Yeah, I I figured there, I didn't know what was going to happen, but I knew it was going to be different than history because the gal waited in the car for them all Mm. to do their witchery (laughs) and and murders. Oh, in real life. Yeah. She was actually that gal. She waited in the car for them. Ah. So um, I thought, okay, she took off in the car. This is going to be really different than than oh, the actual the, story. The, when she took off, she uh, actually she actually, she actually had work. stayed with the car. Like <clears throat> I think she left it running, and she was just waiting for them to finish. And then they all got in the car and took off, and she drove them. Gotcha. Oh, so there you go. Wow. Well, and History. then also I, some females I was talking to said that um, if I were part of Sharon's family, I'd be very insulted by this. But, but they gave. But they, they signed they, off on. They it. did I sign know. off on it. That's that's it. So I don't know. It's it's strange to see such a brutal history being rewritten. Hmm. And my mom, also, I was talking to her about it because she was exactly as far along as, as Sharon was pregnant with me that summer. So she was eight months pregnant with me that summer, and she said it was terrifying. And most women were just on edge, like they didn't even want to venture out. Everybody was really freaked out in L.A. And I was like, gosh, it's so weird to think my mom was pregnant with me, and she was just as far along as Sharon kind of gave me chills mm-hmm. but that was the thing too because there was an older guy in our theater mm-hmm. and he was like oh this <clears> felt very cathartic to see them get their comeuppance and it's like but they didn't though like you're i get you're seeing what you want to see but it's also you're punishing them but it's like wouldn't it have been more cathartic for them to kill charlie yes you know like even if like brad pitt <laughs> is, is at the ranch and it's like you know he just decides to beat up charlie manson or something like all right well that's something it just seemed this guy liked it because he was older and he felt cathartic and it was like, oh, this was great for Sharon. So he saw it a different way, mm-hmm. which is kind of weird. And Sharon's family signed off on this. And yeah, so and I think he he, he also mentioned that um, things were, I guess, I think he was talking about regarding hippies. Things were sort of, you know, um, summer of love. Everything's good. Everything's great. Um, as far as like free love, you know, and then when this happened, the country sort of changed and the mood turned really dark Mm -hmm. all of a sudden there was a sort of cloak of darkness over america at this point when this happened Mm -hmm. and so he sort of remembers that too and he sort of feels like i guess it was cathartic because he felt like that was lifted or averted in this movie and the actual killers in this movie get slaughtered so i can see how that could be cathartic to to people and and maybe even to Sharon Tate's family you know the killer's responsible for my family member's death get killed instead and she lives on Mm -hmm. Um, in your mind you know you're always thinking what would have been she didn't have to die this is senseless you know Mm -hmm. this is crazy you know so if you see an account where that didn't happen you know she's beautiful she's on the come up you know I, I mean from from that aspect of it I think you maybe give the okay. I don't know if you see the movie. It just might bring back too much, too too many memories. But if he's just telling you she doesn't die here, you know, she's beautiful and you know she lives on. You go okay. I mean, I don't I don't yeah. know yeah. the nature of the discussion, but mm-hmm. I do see the viewpoint of I'd be outraged by it if you know this sort of resolution happened mm-hmm. and it really wasn't depicted the way it you know actually played out i see both sides yeah and we were talking about it it's not at all a similar film what was the beatles uh movie the danny boyle yesterday oh yesterday mm. and that's a whole alternative universe where the beatles never became the beatles but so only there's... one guy remembers the beatles yeah. like it's actually just kind of a fun the main character is a musician he gets hit by a bus mm-hmm. wakes up and makes a couple beatles reference and they're like who what are you talking about? He's like, all right, because he starts playing. Uh, he gets a new guitar. He's a guitar, and then the bus ruins his guitar, and he plays. Um, does he play? What does he play? Hey, hey no, Jude? not Hey Jude. No. Um, uh, yesterday or he plays something. They're like, oh my god, that's the most beautiful song, and he's like, yes, it's Yesterday from the Beatles. Who's that? It cuts to him on the computer, the Beatles, and it's on Google, and you see a Beatle. That. John Paul George and it's like the Pope and he just keeps typing he's like well this can't be 
Right. So, but fast forward to a scene where he, there's two other people that remember the Beatles. So, and, and they've done some research to find out where, um, you know, John is living his life out. Hmm. So you see hmm. this guy connect when he goes to his house, and he's just overcome because he sees John Lennon as an old man, and he's alive. But John doesn't know anything about. Yeah. The it, it was it's an interesting and story then, because you know grown men were sobbing in the audience like John Lennon. Oh my God! If only he were alive. So, yeah, it was interesting to see an alternative world where John Lennon was still alive. But we also didn't see the play the whole movie where all of a sudden someone kills Hinckley brutally in the park. <laughs> oh, God, God, down the ground. It's like, right. we win. And you're like, wait, yeah. what? Does John listen to his music? Like, No, he just lives longing? in like a like a remote fishing, okay. fishing village yeah, or something. The, but it's funny, though. The funny parts of the movie is him trying to remember the songs. So he's making notes of all the Beatles songs he can remember. And he's playing. And he's like, oh, wait, he went to the church. What was that? What was happening at the church? Did they throw rice? No, they didn't throw. So him trying to remember Beatles songs. And then he hits big on the Internet, like someone records him. And then he becomes popular with the Beatles songs. And it's it's a charming just it's an alt world. But the whole time is the whole premise is the only one person remembers. So it's you're changing history, but you're not leading someone down the false path of changing history this guy just sort of wakes up and he's the only one that remembers the beatles right so but like someone was comparing that i was like well that's two different like you were literally playing this as fantasy you know you're not playing it as what was really happening and then you know but you i see, just thought it was an interesting yeah it's an interesting thing yeah like i don't mind such the, a huge impact that john lennon was murdered right you know, what well, What if he was still alive? Right, and I just love that he was just like, ends up being like a... But he's not a beetle. He's not, a, he's beetle, not a beetle, and you go to his little fishing cabin, and he has art, like beetles, like his style of art when he was doing, you know, drawings and stuff. So it's just some guy that lived his whole life being an artist and, you know, living in a fishing village. You saw, As done by Danny Boyle. As done by Danny Boyle. <laughs> I wish Danny Boyle would have done this. this would have been... <laughs> well, I mean, I could see... There's a movie that came out, I think, in 1980 called The Final Countdown. I think we've watched it. It's okay. one about the uh, the Nimitz that goes back in time mm-hmm. uh, to the day before um, oh, the Japanese that. attack, yeah, Pearl yeah. Harbor. It's got Kirk Douglas, Martin yeah. Sheen. Mm-hmm. I love this movie. Yeah. And history plays out as it should by the end of the movie, mm-hmm. but you can't help but feel disappointed. Oh, I want to see a nuclear aircraft carrier go up against the entire Japanese armada. Right. Mm-hmm. And they don't, and they actually get sucked back into the... Um, it's the same, like, vortex optical that's in Evil Dead 2 oh. when, when Ash goes back. <laughs> but it's the aircraft carrier going back through it. Which I, was, I, was cool. I, I think we need to rewatch I this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but if the movie ends the same way, and then they're at Casa Vega or something, and it, you know, drunk from margaritas, yeah. what is the ending of this movie then? No, I don't know. Like, I think... I don't know what is, what is the climax then of this movie. I think it's uh, I think I mean for me it's Rick and Cliff die and they become a footnote because that's the way we're sort of leading Leo's career. He doesn't know where he's going. He's sort of a fading star in his mind. Mm. He becomes, you know, they get murdered first and then Sharon and they're just a footnote in the story. Like the no one remembers them. And then us as an audience going, "Oh right, those people never died or did they? Is there a real you know, did uh, another actor actually die? I, I thought, too, that when the gal was going on their property, I just thought she was going to hop the fence. Like, she was trying to figure out how to get onto Sharon's property. Mm-hmm. Didn't, did you, or? Or that Brad Pitt was going to parkour over the wall and, like, yeah. I just ass. wasn't sure. Yeah. I was, <laughs> like, really unsure at that point. And yeah. then I thought it turned into, like, a horror film inside their house. Right. Wasn't it pretty extreme? Inside the house, I had to shut end? my eyes. Yeah, absolutely. It sort yeah. of turned. There was, I was not, like, it's the like only... an evil dead now. I mean, and, and it was like as soon as that happened, it's like, whoa, this is a this is a departure. Yeah, but you know, you redirect yourself when you go, okay, this is Tarantino. There's, exactly. Like he yeah. he held out for almost held out for this long. It, yeah. He did go there at the ranch when he beat the hell out of the uh, yeah guy. This time, it's like. And I'm going, okay, I get it. You know, you really want to, like, m- not only murder, but really murder mm-hmm. um, these people. Mm-hmm. And they they need to die a, a, a terrible death yeah. and in Tarantino fashion. Yeah. I was, you know, it's fine with that. You know, it becomes fun. But in the middle of that, it's like, okay, so who's going to get away and kill Sharon Tate, you know, because I'm thinking I just don't know. I'm yeah, like, 
Same. Are is she gonna die? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm not. I'm thinking that up until the credits. Yeah. Like it's in a just, Final Destination sort of way, where yeah. it's like you're just waiting for. Yeah. Well, I mean, she's know. next, right? Like, I mean, that's what's yeah. gonna happen. <laughs> Something's gonna happen to the you sequel, know, where you know she comes over the loudspeaker. And yeah, you know, some yeah. <laughs> she slips on a croissant or something, yeah. and um, exactly. yeah, like she was destined to die no matter what. Exactly. <laughs> um, I, I just, I mean, it was I, I wrote it off as Tarantino, and and I was fine with that. It was a huge departure from the tone uh, of the rest of the movie, mm-hmm. uh, which I I did appreciate that he didn't sort of. I don't think that it needed it. I don't think it needed any sort of violent uh, whatever. Yeah. I think that the um, presumption that there could be some major violence at the ranch was great because that tension was like, you know what, this is... I mean, I don't know what's going to happen to Brad. I mean, he's got so much uh, male swagger here mm-hmm. that... And no fear. Like, yeah, you know whatever's no gonna happen, fear. he'll take care of He's it. He's just like... Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, kicking the crap out of Bruce Lee. Yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly. I mean, he's just... I, but, you know, he is one man. I mean, and these people do kill. Yeah. We know that. So, yeah. you know, they're not gonna take... He's not gonna take them all, but he's no fear, you yeah. know? And it was just watching Brad go in that house and have him... You know, be fully convicted and say, "No, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go in." I mean, they really built his character to be that, like, fearless of him. Just even though he's cautious, he just knows he can own the situation. And then mm-hmm. when he beats that guy up, it was that to me was more satisfying than them killing the people that were going to kill Sharon because it was just so out of the blue. And then he was like, "Ladies," and he punches him, and he's like, yeah. "Fix my car," yeah. and it was just like he's like that alone was just set us up the look, I'm just the person I am, and this is who, you know, this character is. Like, you get so much of who he is on that ranch scene. Mm-hmm. Like, you have that oh, yeah. scene, and you know yeah. exactly who Cliff Booth is as a person. Mm-hmm. If he had the dog with him, he'd be like the real-life John Wick. I know. I liter- know. I was, <laughs> literally, I was thinking, I was like... And I was like, please let this dog be okay. Yeah. <laughs> the dog was the hero at the end. I know. I, know. I was you so happy. You people should be, like, <laughs> static. I was so happy. <laughs> That would have been yes, amazing. Yes, that like, dog became, is amazing. Like Brad Pitt, like then goes. He's the one that gets the flamethrower and goes. All John Wick gets the car. Gets in the car with the dog. <laughs> Let's go. Goes out and get it. He's just going off. And that's when Cliff Booth changed his name to John Wick. It was a prequel the whole oh, time. Oh, Tarantino's a ever. genius. That's amazing. Tarantino is a genius. He Let's made a John Wick prequel. Talk about how amazing the film looked. Yes. I mean, come oh, on. I mean, of course. It was so perfect. Yeah. Right. I mean, he's always been really good. Like Hateful Eight. Did it need to be sh- shot on 17? No, not really. But it looked amazing. He used that cabin. The cabin set or whatever oh, totally. was the best use of a cabin since Evil Dead. The dialogue, everything about it. And then this, there was no way he was not going to make this look just as amazing. Well, he schooled his crew, right? With well, the and that's the thing, too. the old films. Like, he didn't have the, the world build as much as he could show them the world. Here are all these movies. I want that here so i mean right. it wasn't like he it's once again he still achieved something that most people don't do when you do these things because usually it's such a small thing he did it on such a global scale but you could just like he just took everyone to the new beverly here i like these are the five films you need to watch and this is what i want from each one of these films so mm-hmm. i mean he's really good about that and the look of the film is i just amazing. love when all the neon signs go oh, on. yeah oh my gosh so when they were filming near you um did they i mean what did they have to do to dress the street did you notice yeah they had um they basically had it blocked off between uh burbank boulevard and uh victory mm-hmm. going all the way to buena vista oh okay and so that was entirely lined with cars you know uh vintage cars on mm-hmm. both sides mm-hmm. and at that time i didn't see you know, I can't recall there being like any of like whatever signs, you know, modern signs. I mean, there's not like McDonald's or anything on that street. It still pretty much looks yeah. of the time. I think they either just kind of blur. I mean, a lot of stuff's out of focus, way out of focus. I noticed mm-hmm. on this one, yeah. I noticed uh, one of the street signs when he picks her up on Burbank Boulevard. Uh, I think it's the Lamer Street or whatever it is, mm-hmm. that they changed the sign. It's like an older 
stuff. But it's yeah. really far and it's kind of yeah. out of focus. But it's not the street signs that we know now. It's just like an older street sign. So I was like, so oh, it was right. lined with vintage. Yeah, yeah. Cars. They went to great lengths to make it look and feel like the real. Because anytime thing. they were driving, it was spectacular. Oh yeah, like on the one thirty four. Yeah, yeah. You know, seeing all yeah, that. Yeah, they're driving. Like, yeah. I know. And it's going in both directions. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because you can see it in the IMAX. You can see the other screen, the yeah. other side of the freeway. And it's literally all filled with... And they so the whole thing closed off like on a Sunday morning and just had... Yeah, the yeah. producers apologized. We're like, yes, we were actually... We actually closed down some of the 134 and the entrance to the 101. We're sorry if that in- inconvenienced <laughs> you that day. <laughs> it looked so good, though. But they so did a really good, good job. Like, uh, I think John and I were talking before was that... Like, if you're on Hollywood, they would do that block like you even did on Burbank. They do the wide of Brad driving and then cut in. And with it being out of focus, it's looked like... You didn't have to do like three blocks. You only had to right. do one block for the wide mm-hmm. to cut in, and then you would, everything was in a soft focus behind them, so it just looked really good. I think so. it's an extra special film to those of us who live here, don't you think? That are familiar with LA and. Yeah, I'm not sure, like, the people. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing. If you don't know really Sharon Tate's story and you're not from LA, Does it I think resonate? this movie's going to play okay because you have strong actors, but I don't yeah. think you're going to connect to it as much no, as no, I think. Definitely not. If no. you know even remotely a little bit about Sharon Tate, even though it doesn't really matter in this movie, but if you live here and know where all these places are, you're like, oh man, this is really cool. Oh yeah, it's a love letter Hollywood. I mean, it is at yeah. the end of the day. I was supposed to say too, the the sound in this mm-hmm. movie is absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, all the cars sound exactly how they should. I mean, from Brad Pitt's Carmagia, which I'm assuming is probably the ex, you know, the wife he killed. It was probably her car. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Sharon Tate's Porsche allegedly um, killed allegedly killed um, <laughs> you know all of the you know not just all the recordings of all the stuff on the radio and the commercials um, but like the sound of like all the neon coming on I mean it's just yeah. everything was so detailed mm-hmm. um, it almost sounds like he added because we saw it in 35 and we saw and our screening was 70 mm-hmm. um, it almost sounds like they added like an extra film noise mm-hmm. of audio though because it felt like there was almost like a slight crackle and hiss which i mm. think comes from film but it's also also sounded like it was in the soundtrack mm. like you almost went <clears throat> just put a little so oh, it like looks like listen to the optical track of a 35 millimeter yeah it almost yeah. sounds like they added a little mm. of that because there's only going to so much you're going to hear now because projector rooms are so quiet like you're so separate you're not going to hear all the noise that we used to hear right it seems like you right. know like it feel like Growing up, you used to hear the projector. All right, we're starting the movie. Yeah. You're yeah. like, oh, all right. But uh, I thought, yeah, the sound design was great. Production value. Everything. I mean, you can hear the dolly. You know, the dolly creaking in the footsteps of the oh. crew as they're pushing the dolly yeah. in the scene with the pilot. I mean, come yeah. on. That was freaking brilliant. No, yeah. I mean, all, all, yes, top to bottom, it yeah. was um, very well designed. Sound was... I mean, I think sound for him and most of his movies are really great but i think here um he really played close attention to detail with with sound Mm -hmm. um on so many levels i dare say like all of us can go and see it again and find something new but he did you know is is that portion of it yes i thought he got right and you're right because we live here we definitely have a, a different experience you know when he's on the freeway and there's like not wall-to-wall traffic and it's just oh just a few cars you know it was back then and it sort of puts you in that time i felt like brad pitt and leo sort of were bigger i don't know how to put this they were bigger stars than the time it's like these guys own the scenery every time they were on screen and if you put those guys in 1969 and put them in those roles, if they're, if those were real, I think, and I'm probably wrong, but to me, they sort of exuded a little more charisma than they would have had. Particularly, not necessarily Leo, but because he was a star, but uh, Brad Pitt being the, you know, the stunt guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he was, you know, he was amazing. Sometimes I'm, I was like, why isn't he on screen? Yeah. Mean, he's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, I mean, it, it could have been. It's just like... I think Tarantino did a good job of showcasing those two talents and just, letting you know, them just do their letting thing. them do their thing. Yeah. But I think in the cutting room, even though there's an hour left on the floor, and poor Tim Roth, you yeah, know. I know. Um, <laughs> Wait, uh, he had a part? Well, yeah, he's credited. It says Tim Roth cut. Oh, <laughs> Tim Roth. Like, after all that time, I laid on the ground for you in Reservoir Dogs. I know, exactly. <laughs> He's Aww. at the premiere going, I'm, I can't wait. This is going to be my breakout. Mother. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it was cool to break. see Luke Perry. 
Yeah, yeah he was you know? great. Yeah. Oh, I was like, I wish he was in it a little bit more. But that was neat. He probably is. I mean, I'm sure the whole oh, pilot maybe. plays yes. out in that hour. Yeah. Right. I'm sure we watched the whole pilot. At the end, they all go to a screening of the pilot <laughs> and they watch it. And we watch it like a mystery science theater. We're just behind looking at the screen. Sharon Tate's there. Yeah, Sharon Tate's there. there. It's like the big happy ending. We're like, what is going on? Did you guys think that it was necessary to have the scene where um, Cliff is flashing back to the moment that he's on the boat with his wife? Yes. Okay. Oh, I, I wasn't sure. Uh, I was on the fence about that. Was it necessary or should it have all been a mystery? Because that's a good scene with Leo and Kurt Russell. And you forget how good Kurt Russell is. It's so mostly good. his voice. He's so yeah, good. Is what, yeah. God damn it. Like, is <laughs> yeah. that. But it's like, he killed his wife. And it's like, oh, you don't believe that. Yeah. Like, I think. He's like, Le- you know my wife, right? Steer clear of her. <laughs> but it's like, I think if you just had that. it's. I don't know if you needed. It's an okay scene. But I don't know if you really needed like him just saying it was fine for me, but then when you flash back within the flashback to him but on the boat. But you think it was valid? I, I, that it I was actually there. thought about this uh, earlier today about that particular scene, and I think it works because he doesn't actually kill her on screen. Okay. Okay. Like he didn't put like an axe into her head or something. Right. Yeah, you're just sitting there and you see this super tense moment, and it just cuts away. And for me, the you know. But if it works, wasn't so, there, okay. and you can see too that she was like. Not very nice. No, right. Yeah. She wouldn't. <laughs> that's well, yeah, but yeah, I think that's the thing. If he made it nice, then it would have been like, oh man, this guy's terrible. So you had to play. It. But I, I think it, yes, it works. But I also don't think you need it. Like if that scene wasn't there, you would have moved on, and the story would have still played out the same. Like but Jason begs to differ. You like it in there. No, no, I'm not saying. Right? No, I you like that. that scene in there. I did. Yeah. yeah. I'm not saying I dislike it. I'm just saying you still don't need it though. Like yeah. it's yeah. it's by him saying he killed his wife. You don't believe that, and it's just this mystery if he killed his wife and they say it two more times and then it just goes away right so. i don't mind it in there um it's yes like you, you could effects. yeah yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the shooting so yeah. his next movie uh, I, I don't mind it in there um yes you could have still had the obviously the, the mystery would have been there if you didn't have it in there and mm-hmm. it's, it's still there with mm-hmm. it in there right i'm on the fence because it's like it's all about what it's really saying is like she's not that nice but that's no, not a reason to kill her. Um, not saying he did. No one knows. Right. But, you know, it's Tarantino going, well, he could have because not that he would have been justified, but he could have. And the reason why he would have killed her and the reason why people think he would have killed her is because she wasn't that nice. Mm-hmm. And he has a, a bit of a um, murderous streak in him. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know, saying that, you know, just because she's not nice, it's like, mm, it's not really a reason to... The water could have been rough and he didn't save her. Like, she could have fell over the boat and he chose not to save her. Like the Natalie Wood scenario. Like the Natalie Wood scenario. Or William Shatner. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right, exactly. But the thing is, though, I think it's also, too, like, seeing it a second time, it's he's flashing back to that story, the Cato story. Then we're in a trailer in a scene that Brad Pitt's not in that he's remembering... And then within that moment, we're flashing back to this. So it's like we're a double flashback in. And it's like, who's remembering that moment? Is he listening to their conversation within his own? It's such a weird. Right. Like if you're thinking of it as a whole, like it works within the scene, but it's a flashback. And then you flash back from there. And it's like, well, is he double remembering murdering his wife? I don't know. It was such a on the second viewing it like the first time you're fine. Mm -hmm. But then you're remembering it's his memory. So he's on the roof remembering the Cato moment. But then within that, we flash back again to the wife thing. And it's like, well, why not just have the... It doesn't matter where how it works, but... But they mention that when he's... Someone mentions that to Cato, right? When he's... Yeah, get, yeah, yeah, one of the grips to, or whatever, okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. And it's like, yeah, no, that guy killed... But I think, it, I think what it is, yes, you see it, so you're not sure. Maybe he is a terrible person and he killed it. But I think the mystery still works out with or without it. Like, you see it and you're like, oh, I wonder if he did. But then it also alludes that he probably did mm. by showing it. But yeah. it being more of a mystery, I think, kind of works, too. Because they mention it. Yeah. Kurt Russell mentions it. The wife mentions it. And then, like, one of the grips mentions it. So it's like, oh, no, he killed his wife. It's like, oh, shit, is this real or not? But then, you know, it's the 60s. No one cares. You could kill people, apparently. Yeah, I mean, I guess you know, it could easily be a deleted scene. Um, I was actually wondering, how did Brad Pitt not see the hippies in the car down at the end of the street? I was wondering After that too. After he was too. walking the dog, was it because they were was... down there for a long time, and they they can't they go up and down the same the same street? I thought that too. 
But then unless he took it, yeah, I guess the only thing is if he he had his acid, he had his acid thing and maybe he took a different (laughs) pathway. (laughs) And can we just talk about how amazing Brad Pitt is as a stoner? Oh yeah. He's so good. It's like, now listen, and he's just moving his hand (laughs) and you're just like, you're so amazing at this uh, dog food. I know. Method acting. Yeah, yeah, he's so yeah, he's a stoner anyways. But it's like his stoner Brad is the best stoner Brad <laughs> ever. But yeah, I'd be curious what's on the cutting room floor. What's the extra forty five minutes of story if this is the story that we're getting? Like, what's the Tarantino version? Are we meandering more? Yeah, does he even do that? Does he release like they talked about? They're going to release it. Remember yeah, they said yeah. No, we're probably going to release that version. Hmm. So wow, well, there you go. Yeah. I just don't know the, if I could. The Tarantino. I just don't know if I could sit through three and a half hours. You can take a break. Take a break. That'll be the next <laughs> one. All right, everyone, we did it. <laughs> we did it. We're back. Intermission. Yeah. Um, well, it gave us a lot to talk about. I think that's sure. it. It's a, it's a well-made movie, and it's exciting that you know yeah. there's something for us to talk about, and regardless. The, yeah, and have differing opinions, but I think we all appreciate the filmmaking yes no of course you know. yes. yeah like it's fun to see a tarantino movie that we talk about because i didn't feel like we all needed to talk about hateful eight and glorious bastards django no i mean if it was the 90s we would have probably talked about you know reservoir dogs oh my god you see this new film Yeah, you guys would have been all over that <laughs> yeah. oh my god we're 20 this is amazing this is filmmaking's future um what he made was very interesting mm-hmm, in the sure. in the world. It doesn't mean that makes it good just because it's different than Hobbs and Shaw. It's just it's fun to talk about, you know, that he did something. But in the whole thing of is this a film or is this a movie? Because they always talk about oh I make film. No, this is a film. Film really? Yeah, I say movie. John, I think it 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 it's shot and it wants to be a. F- a film, if I'm understanding yeah. you, I would say a movie because um, I think Tarantino would want it to be a movie. I think he likes. I mean, I think he he, he fashions himself as a filmmaker, but I think he would regard the movie as being better than the film. Okay. Um, you know, and I and I say that out of respect. Yeah. Um, yeah. This isn't a slam. I think this is a movie trying to be a film. But not in a. It's not a derogatory. They're both exactly the same goddamn thing. But I think as all, it's more of a movie than a legacy film. I guess. I think it's film. You think it's film. I, I don't. I don't think it's his. I don't think it's his like. And I think he does regard it as it. But I don't think it's his best work. I mean, he sort of says he views this as if you took all of what he's he's done, what he's learned, and what he's presented thus far, and. Um, the natural apex of all that you know the body of his work is once upon a time in hollywood now and this is the apex and number 10 his last film will be the epilogue um smaller movie Mm -hmm. i don't know if if i felt that i'm not saying it's not that maybe upon a 60th viewing 30 years maybe i feel different but um initially like i didn't feel like this was Quintino's past. I mean, I didn't feel like it was Pulp Fiction, you know. I mean, just based on the strength of a lot of things in that movie, narrative, um, cat. The cast here is stellar, so it's not that. But it's just, you know, I, I didn't feel like it. It it moved enough for me. This movie. I I, I don't think that it has to move like Pulp Fiction or anything else, mm-hmm. but because it's not that kind of movie. But right. it just. There were certain things in it that I was just like, there was sort of like plotting and laborious, and I was like, well, let's let's get on to it. I mean, I'm I'm in, I'm into these guys, I'm into these characters, I'm into this this world. I mean, we we live here, we work in this this industry. I'm into it, but let's you know, let's go, let's see him do more stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know it's he wants it to be a day in a life, which I think is interesting. But for me, I guess maybe not be in, as interesting as some body in the midwest or the south yeah. or whatever it might be like wow i never see anything like so i don't know i don't know if that plays into it too but as a narrative i don't know i was gonna say would you, would you compare this to like his like departed where that's like kind of scorsese's like his amalgam of all his movies into like one movie and i kind of felt the same way about departed like when i saw that movie i felt like oh this is everything he's done 
but I've seen it all done better in previous mm-hmm. that's attempts. I, I Is mean, that how you feel I, about I, this? I definitely felt that for Departed. That's yeah. an exact, very accurate description of that movie. Uh, as far as I saw it as well. I, no, I mean, I just think that there were certain things that I've seen from him, uh, son Rob, like Quentin Tarantino is normally um, at the height of his powers. He has amassed a toolbox in his career, which few filmmakers have done, which now he has a lot of Quentin Tarantino tools that he can use at his disposal and use them really well. I just felt in this movie, they weren't really employed. Um, enough for me to um to warrant this as something as like okay everything that he's done is here i've seen it better like the part i've seen it better in other work but everything he's done is here i felt like there's some some things that he could have done that he didn't do and those are all choices and um i respect those choices and it could be this is the film he's been wanting to make so it's like when you put your heart into something like he wanted to make in 1969 and he didn't but it doesn't necessarily mean he had the best story for it. Like, he spent so much time... Like, when you watch this movie, it looks amazing. It looked Like, there's no detail, especially in your IMAX thing. There's no detail right. missed. And it could have been maybe the love of making that focus so hard on that. Where even, like, the producer's like, yeah, I read the whole version. You know, there could have used more story and plot. Like, if you're already saying that and you're reading the full version, then maybe take a step back and like you say do one more tarantino rewrite of okay now that i've built this world how can i uh, tell the story maybe uh, trim and make a little different part of the story and maybe the three and a half hour version is the better version or maybe the three hour version is the better version and it's not like this is bad at all i think this is a really no no i'm excited that this movie exists but i don't know if i need to i'd rewatch it over probably django or maybe even Kill Bill, which I think Kill Bill's good, but I would definitely watch Pulp Fiction again. Mm-hmm. You know, I think story-wise, like this is just good to w- look at. Like when this comes out, it'll look good. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully, I get a screener and I'll watch it again. It's like, oh my god, look how good! Because I'd be curious how it plays at home. You know, because that's another big factor too. It's like, how will it play at home? You know, like if the people that are just gonna wait, oh, I'll just watch it when I get home. You know, like how will it look? And I think it's gonna look great. I'll be curious if he does like a 4K transfer or something. I don't know if he's done that on any of his films. If yeah, he's just hold it on to Blu-ray or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But overall, final thoughts, Ange? Uh, a lot of style. I wish there was more substance. Boom. Jason? Wow. Can we do Oscar predictions? <laughs> Not that I, I haven't cared about the Oscars in 12 years, I think. Best something like that to have one. Yeah, I'm going to say it's going to get nominated across the board. It'll be like 10 nominations but it's only going to win Best Picture. And Tarantino maybe has got like a 50% chance of like getting writing, but probably not. But I think that it's that kind of movie. It, it, the love letter to Hollywood. I mean, look, if Birdman, right, that was Best Picture, yep. wasn't it? Right. And that movie's mostly mediocre. If that wins, this has to win, unless something else that comes out and blows our mind away, you know, in, over the next like few months. But um, you heard it here. Okay. And wow. I'm going to cut to this when it doesn't happen. <laughs> no, and please, shame please do. Jason into no. an, 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 an endgame wins. Yeah, an endgame wins. No. Uh, John? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I don't think it's, I, I, you know, uh, I think my takeaway from this is Brad and uh, Leo uh, have really good careers ahead of them. They're really good actors. <laughs> yeah, um, so I see a bright future. You know, exactly. Um, you know, I, I I liked it. I just wish I saw more uh, more Tarantino, more uh, of a narrative structure. I, I I I'm just really frustrated with the whole Sharon Tate um, thing, and I think that has to do with the nature of handling her her memory, both from Tarantino's standpoint and um, the estate and her her family. But um, you know, I I I, I want to see it again. Just to just to get another perspective and another take on it, but um, you know it's it's fun it's fun to watch and and when Leo and Brad are on screen, which is most of the time, yeah, um, they're great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Brad Pitt is the star of this yeah. movie. As much as Leo is the A one star, I think Brad Pitt's the star of this film, and I would mm-hmm. I would want two hours of Spawn Ranch and uh, him driving around. 
Him that's... driving around the valley and going to Spawn Ranch <laughs> is the movie that. I want. I want that 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 TV series. Yeah, I want that yeah. eight part limited series of just Brad Pitt driving around smoking acid dip cigarettes. Being for mad 50... at all the hippies. Yeah, being mad at hippies and smoking fifty cent acid dip uh, cigarettes. All right. Well, that's been once upon a time. And, and, your, and your final in thought? Hollywood. Uh, my final. Th- I I I enjoyed it. I'm happy that it's fun to talk. Like it's fun to talk about a film like this and not. And nothing wrong with Endgame. I think Endgame's great for that tile movie or even a Hobbs and Shaw. But it's fun to see filmmaking again, you know, because you don't see as it. As opposed to movie making? Yes, thank you. Uh, yes. It, yeah, he's a, he's a filmmaker that made a movie. But this summer is full of just... There hasn't been anything that stood out this summer. This one only stands out, but maybe because there's a name behind it. And if this was someone else, I don't know if we would... One, I don't even know if it would have been released. It's amazing that, I mean, Tarantino's got pull where this movie gets released in the theater. A movie like this doesn't get released because it's just a small film. It's small in what the story is. It's like, hey, it's a day in the life in 1969. Okay. Well, when you put it that way. But then you put Tarantino's name on it. Oh, he shot on film and it's Leonardo, the number one. But this film would have always been released with Leo in it. You put another director, if it's a slice of life and it's some... If maybe it's an up-and-coming director. It's the director's second film, but he's got Leo in it. This movie would be released. This movie would be released no matter what with Leo and Brad in it. I think it's good. I, I enjoy it, and I'm still sticking by it's a movie. So there. Final words. <laughs> I got it. So post-apocalyptic, go see Once Upon a Time. Uh, if we spoiled it, well, I told you we were going to spoil it. Um, <laughs> they all die at the end. Yeah, they all die at the end, except Brad and the dog, and they go on to become John Wick. All right. This is Rob. This is John. This is Jason. This is Angela. All right. Follow us on all the socials and take it easy. Bye.